Y'all ready? All right. Your assignment is to be prepared to read the meditations of Marcus Aurelius starting today, actually. And your other homework assignment is to read chapter one in J.I. Packer's Knowing God. Um, But today we're going to introduce the meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And I think you'll see as we look into it why I think it'll be helpful for us to read them together in class. It'll take us a while, but I think it'll be fun. Now, do you think, let me just ask you this as we get started here, do you think anyone will read anyone's Facebook posts that they make this year, next year? What? Uh, who here is on Facebook? Anyone? All right, good. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Let's, uh, since most of you are not on it, let's just go ahead and try to leave it that way. It's probably best that the, uh, the, the Intel services don't have that much personal information on you. Um, and your, and your uh, friends and family. They probably don't need to worry about what's going on in your life that much either. But do you think if you were to write a Facebook post today or uh, a Snapchat, TikTok, an Insta? What is it, Lucas, which of the seven do you use? Uh, all of them. Okay, all seven. <laughs> if you um, were to share one of your meditations, you know what a meditation is? Uh, not to meditate, not the, the Buddhist monk meditating where they try to escape from all reason and blank out their minds, um, but just a thought, a, a, uh, something you are you know, mentally chewing on, a little meditation that you had to yourself that you might jot down in a journal. It's a meditation. A lot of people use their Facebook timeline as a place to write down their meditations, their thoughts. Oftentimes, um, their thoughts are not for themselves. Sometimes they are. I've, I've put things on Facebook just so that I could, had a place to stick it because I wanted to come back to it later. Um, and sometimes when I do that, I'll put only me, like I'm the only one that can view it. And, um, but, uh, but oftentimes we're putting these little meditations on Facebook or Insta or, or X, formerly known, the artist formerly known as Twitter. We're, we're doing that for other people to read. Um, but do you think if you were to write a meditation in, a, in a, one of the social medias that anyone would read it next year? What do you think? No. Do y'all, I know y'all have um, uh, text groups because I hear iPads dinging at three in the morning. Hmm? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Do, do any of you share meditations in your group chat? You know, I was pondering the other day. Oh, you have a, a meditation about a deer. Interesting. Probably more, more, more what you might call juicy tea. That's what, you, that's what the girls share in their secret, you know, back channels. Oh, okay. Well, Marcus Aurelius... Um, he he had he didn't have Facebook obviously or group chats, and um, but he wrote down his meditations in a journal. He's we've compiled all of them and we call them obviously meditations, and they're a little random. They're a little random. They are there are themes obviously just like any other any other work of literature. But the interesting thing I, I think about him is that he didn't even intend anyone to read them. He wasn't trying to necessarily make other people better or convince anyone else of anything. He was, he was writing these meditations down about life and death, about 
the basic questions of life about God and gods and virtue and ethics and and uh, what is true beauty and goodness, all the basic questions of life. He was writing these meditations down for himself, for self-improvement. Have you ever heard that phrase before, self-improvement, or for self-betterment? <coughs> I like to write down, I keep all my sermons archived and all my lessons just so that, um, you know, when I die, other, other people can listen to them, or in the future, um, other people at Christchurch mostly um, can, uh, can listen to them and kind of see the doctrinal um, foundations of my life and and of the church. But he left this journal really on accident. He didn't intend anyone to read it, but we have it. And in fact, it is um, the the biggest compilation of Stoic philosophy. That's what he believed. He was a Stoic. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. It's the biggest compilation of Stoic philosophy that we have um, from ancient times. He wasn't the most notable... Um, Stoic, he didn't invent it or, or begin it, but because he wrote so much Stoic philosophy, he's pretty famous as uh, among the Stoic philosophers. So Marcus Aurelius, that was not his original name. His original name was Marcus Verus. You don't, you don't necessarily need to know that. <coughs> he was born in 121, A.D. 121. Raised his entire life on the philosophy of Stoicism. Everyone's raised in a philosophy. What are you raised in? What's the worldview that you're raised in? Christianity. Not a philosophy, but a theology, I suppose, or religion. But he was raised in the philosophy of Stoicism. How did he and his family answer the basic questions of life? Through Stoicism. He was born during the reign of Hadrian. The Emperor Hadrian, does anyone know what Hadrian, Emperor Hadrian was most known for? Or at least today most known for? Jude. A big old wall. A big wall. Hadrian came to power and he said, we're going to build a wall and the Scottish are going to pay for it. That's right. No, not exactly. But they did. They built this wall, Hadrian's wall, to keep the Scottish out. And to keep those uh, barbarian, blue-faced painted barbarians, Druid-worshipping cannibalistic tribes of Scotland and Ireland out of the um, more civilized regions of England. Of course, that wall didn't work, but um, walls never work, not for that. And, um, but eventually, Hadrian, the emperor, died, and Marcus Aurelius's uncle became the next emperor. And so when his uncle became the next emperor, his uncle didn't have a son, and so his uncle adopted him, and he then became the heir to the throne and got his name changed. And Marcus Aurelius became um, the next emperor. He co-reigned a bit with his stepbrother. That gets a little bit complicated. The empire was gigantic at this particular point in time. And so, but, but what you need to know is he became emperor uh, after his uncle died in 161, 161, A.D. 161. And remember, when you're, when you're telling the time, you put A.D. before the number, and you put B.C. after the number. Did y'all know that? That's good. A.D. goes in the front. In the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, 161. So in 161, that's around the time that Buddhist monks were arriving in China, spreading Buddhism, which is not exactly too different from Stoicism. They both are, are based on the same um, foundations, pantheism, which we'll talk about in a little bit. 161 was the time when people began to use 
um, soap, a certain kind of soap made from grease and lime and ash. So advancements in soap technology, which we're all thankful for, some of us more than others. Um, This was uh, 161 was the time when Romania and Hungary were being overrun by barbarians. People, um, uh, ravenous people, wild people from the Caucasus Mountains and the steppes of Russia. People that looked a whole lot uh, like some of you, actually. And, uh, and, and so the Pax Romana, the, the Ro- Roman peace, which um, blessed the world for many years, allowing Christianity to thrive and spread all over the world, allowing people like the Apostle Paul to, to take shipping lanes and to, to travel long distances along Roman highways, spreading the gospel freely without pirates and barbarians and the thieves. That Pax Romana was being threatened by these invading hordes, the, the Magyars which the language of Hungary comes from today, and various other Germanic tribes and Caucasus tribes, etc. The plague was spreading in the empire as well, killing tens of thousands of people. More than likely, the bubonic plague, which is perhaps the number one reason why you shouldn't have rats or fleas as pets, just saying. Or rats to feed your snakes? They're all dead. Okay, they're all dead. Good. <laughs> and in 161, Stoicism, the philosophy of Marcus Aurelius, which we'll be talking about further, was still going strong. It had been established. Well, honestly, it's established in the heart of Satan, but it had been made public around 400 B.C., by the philosopher Zeno. And it, had still, it was still going strong in Roman world. Zeno is spelled Z-E-N-O. Z-E-N-O. It was still going strong by, the, by uh, Marcus Aurelius' lifetime, and he and his family were devoted Stoics. Marcus Aurelius is generally considered a virtuous emperor. He believed in concepts like truth, goodness, beauty, justice, Life, death. He wasn't a Christian, but when you compare him to his son or to emperors like Caligula and Nero, I'd rather have a emperor who at least believes in the concept of virtue than a nihilistic emperor who believes only in his belly, if you know what I mean. So though he wasn't a Christian, he was, when you compare him to other emperors, fairly virtuous. He is known as the philosopher emperor. He died 20 years after he began reigning in about 180. And, interestingly enough, he was a persecutor of Christians. Yes, one of the the biggest persecutors of Christians to date. Now, Diocletian and Nero and others after him will make make his persecutions look like child's play. But he did... um, he did um, begin persecuting the church in ways that had not yet previously been done. And he's going to mention Christians only one time in his meditations. And he mentions them and, and says in passing that he is um, irritated by all their theatrics. So, interesting. <clears throat> but what we most have from Marcus Aurelius, the philosopher emperor today, is his 
book, or several books, compiled into a book which we call Meditations. <coughs> and I think it's kind of cool. You, um, to be able to peer into the mind of a Roman emperor from 2,000 years ago, to peer into his mind, to see what made him tick. I think you're going to be impressed by how smart this guy is. Very smart, brilliant. Um, once again, we remember that ancient peoples were not less evolved than us, right? They're very brilliant, very intelligent, not a Christian, not a Christian. So a lot of what he is believing is, is built on a faulty foundation. So, so eventually it's going to crumble. But he's very intelligent, very wise um, in some sense. He, like we might say he has eyes in his head, uh, unlike our experts and our philosophers today who can't even define what a woman is. Uh, Marcus Aurelius has an eyeball in his head and he knows how to look around and, uh, and um, you know, speak obvious truths. He can tell the difference between good and bad and ugly and beautiful for the most part. And we'll talk about why that is in a little bit. When we read this, we're going to learn about the philosophy of Stoicism. And uh, we're going to learn about how this emperor, this philosopher emperor, tried to live a virtuous life, tried to fix himself, you know, tried to be happy. And that's really what Stoicism is, is how to be happy, how to live a good life, um, um, how to, you know, improve yourself and do what you can with, with uh, what, you, what you have. Um, and uh, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and start talking about Stoicism. What is Stoicism? Um, what do y'all y'all heard of a Stoic or Stoicism? What what are some of the cliches or the urban legends you've heard about Stoicism? Anybody? Very stern. That's right. Um, they they practice uh, maintaining control over their emotions. That's right. Good. That's good. But if you want to know what really what Stoicism is, because it's alive and well today, um, you just got to think about the show The Minimalist, um, which is our family loves The Minimalist. Anybody seen it? Other than my family, Landon, good, great minds, great minds. I'm trying to think of other other. Mm, there's other shows that are very much like the like the Mentalist and Stoic, but The Mentalist is he's a man. Who, uh, you know, what does he think about money? What does he think about money? Anybody that's seen the show? Does he care about it that much? Mm-hmm. He can make money. He can spend money. But he can take it or leave it. There's several times in the show where he has the opportunity to have millions and millions of dollars. And he just gives it away. He doesn't care about it. Doesn't care about money. Um, what does, he, does he care about women? No, he doesn't really care about women. Um, does he care about having a posh house? Not so much. He lives like in a shed on the top of a building that he's just borrowing, like lives in a closet. He doesn't really care about, you know, the stuff that rich people care about. Now, in this show, he's not completely stoic because if he were truly a stoic, he would not be living uh, in cold pursuit of, of Red John, his arch nemesis. He would just accept that people get murdered and the bad things happen and learn to control his desires and his wants. So he's not totally a stoic, but there's some stoicism in the mentalist. Um, Carl Jung, have you ever heard of that particular psychologist and philosopher? If you watch the show The Mentalist closely, he's, when he's reading books on his couch, he's reading Carl Jung. He was a, a psychologist and a philosopher, and he was very stoic. He, was, he believed in the philosophy, to some extent, of stoicism. 
Um, Jordan Peterson dabbles in a little Stoicism, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> Stoicism is, is, um, it is on the rise in our country because um, it is the opposite, really, of everything that's going on in Hollywood, basically. I mean, when you think of the Kardashians in Hollywood, what do you think of? Drama. Drama. Huh? Money. Money, lavish living. Um, carelessness. Are they virtuous people? No. no, they care. And even in the category of beauty, they, what they think of as beautiful is grotesque and, and giant, if you know what I mean. And, um, and they're really just kind of vile, shallow, rich, licentious, nasty people. Um, stoicism is the exact opposite of that. A stoic would be uh, very sharp, very intelligent, um, very self-controlled and virtuous, and certainly rejecting all of those, uh, those habits of rich people. And so when, when our world is just bathing in hedonism, the Kim Kardashian spirit, what would be, um, if you think earlier in the year, what, what Greek spirit would uh, capture that, um, that essence? Dionysius. Huh? Dionysius, that's right. The Dionysian or the Bacchian, that's the the Greek name for the same, the Dionysian spirit. Whenever you have a culture that's just all um, hedonism and all party and, and drugs and sex and, and all of that, some, what you'll have is a reaction where people swing to, no, we need to be about virtue and we need to be about conservative ideals and self-control and make your bed, son. And, and, and those, kind of, those kind of things, that's a Jordan Peterson quote, but those sorts of things are becoming more and more popular in our society. And so I think it's very important for us to understand the philosophy of Stoicism so that we can do what? Yeah, not, we want to be able to distinguish between Stoicism and Christianity. Is there going to be some overlap? Why is that? Well, why is there a little overlap? Same planet. Huh? Same planet. Because they're from the same planet, sure. Uh, and because humans, what does the Bible say about the hearts of humans? Humans have the law of God written on their hearts, right? And also, what does the Bible say in Romans chapter 1 about the attributes of God being manifest clearly by the things which are seen? The creation can explain something, reveal some things, some truth to you, right? Um, even pagans know that 2 plus 2 equals 4, or at least Aristotle knew that. Pagans these days are not so sure. But a pagan has eyes in his head, right? He can see and learn some things. And when he sees and discovers truth, right, that's going to be God's truth, right? All truth is God's truth. That's going to be the Christian's truth. So a broken clock on the wall is going to be right two times a day. And when it's right, does that mean that we should follow the broken clock? No, it just means we should recognize that clock's in the same world that all the other clocks are in. That's right. So you're going to see some overlap. But, um, but it's not Christian, and we want to know the difference so that we can make sure we're not being Stoics, and instead we're being Christians, all right? And I, I think there's a lot of Stoicism in, uh, in Christianity that we have to watch out for. So what is it? Here's a quote for you. It's a worldview, a philosophy that attempts to answer the basic questions of life, heaven and hell, and how to be happy. There you go. In short, it's a worldview or a philosophy that attempts to answer the basic questions of life. (coughs) 
Here's some quotes for you. Here's a, here's a stoic quote. No man is free who is not master of himself. You don't have to write that down, but let's talk about it. No man is free who is not master of himself. You must learn to master yourself, young Jedi. Should we learn to control ourselves? Well, that sounds good. Hmm, interesting. But what does the Bible say about self-control? Is it possible? Huh? No. Why not? Self-control, the Bible says, is a fruit of the Spirit. That's right. Meaning that it only can come and only can be manifested in someone's life if they are abiding in the Spirit, if they're united to the Spirit, if they have the Holy Spirit's power in their life. That's the only way they can have self-control. You cannot have genuine self-control without the power of God in your life. But the Stoic believes that man does have the ability and the power through proper technique to master himself. But Jesus would, would clearly poke holes in that and show how even in all of his appearance of self-mastery, deep down, a dark monster lies, right? Remember, that's the parable, that's the, uh, the whole point of the Bacchian legend, the Dionysian spirit, that even though the king who is following the ways of Apollo believed to be self-controlled, right? And very Spartan, um, at the end of the day, he wanted to go and watch the nasty parties. Remember that? You remember that from earlier this year? That's right, because you can't have true self-mastery without the Spirit of God. Here's another Stoic quote. The more we value things outside of our control, the less control we have. See if you can put that in your own words. If you value controlling everything on the outside of you, the less control you're going to have. What does that mean? You can't trust anybody. Uh, is that like if you try and focus on things that you can't control, you'll lose focus of controlling yourself? Yeah. In other words, yes. In other words, if you are obsessed about controlling everything around you, you're going to be very unhappy and miserable. What you need to do instead is just accept the things that you can't change. Is there a Disney song that has a similar similar theme to it? If you're going to be happy, you just need to let it go. That's right, let it go. <laughs> All right, here's another one for you. Remember, strength flows from the force, but beware, anger, fear, aggression. That's actually Yoda. That's not Marcus Aurelius, but I did want to point out to you that Yoda has meditations, doesn't he? He shares little meditations. Very stoic, very stoic. But he's, he's probably more, he's more designed on the, on the theme of Confucius, who also had his Confucius, his wise sayings, right? But they're both doing a similar thing. They're writing down what they believe to be essential truths that if you follow can lead to happiness. Think about that. What is that ultimately? What is that religion ultimately? If you believe in your mind, you can determine the laws which, if followed, lead to your personal wholeness and satisfaction. What is that ultimately? Huh? It's ultimately the worship of self. That's right. It's ultimately humanism, a belief that you can discover the laws in nature 
And then you have the ability to follow them to make yourself whole and satisfied. It's self-salvation. It's works-based salvation. It's humanism. It's faith in the self. It's all of those various things. Very stoic. Very Star Wars. How about this one? You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this and you will find strength. In other words, exercise power over yourself, self-mastery. Exercise power of your mind and, and let other things go. Submit or accept the reality of the things that you cannot change, but try and change the things that you can through reason and willpower. Does any of this sound familiar to y'all? It sounds a lot like, um, like when a 24-year-old girl apostatizes and has an Instagram page and she starts to say wise sayings and try to bring her friends along for why she hates her parents. Um, it sounds a lot like that. Right? And you could probably go on Instagram and find a lot of people like that. How about this one? Confine yourself to the present. Hmm. What's another way of saying that? Live in the moment. Live in the moment. Now, if we spin that, we can kind of make it sound Christian. What does the Bible say about the present versus the future? Don't have anxiety about the future. That's right. It also teaches us that if you're going to plan about the future, you need to make sure that God is in control of your plans for the future. But does the Bible teach us not to plan for the future, not to leave inheritances, not to store up in the winter so that we have in the summer? No, the Bible talks about being future oriented all the time. It says, but it, but it does say, don't be anxious about tomorrow. What, he, what here we have being taught is just worry about right now. You can't control the future. The future is not real. Um, the future is determined by the force God, the fire energy, the stoic God. And that fate you're, is inexorable. So there's no use in you getting all uh, flustered about it. That's a little bit different, isn't it? All right. Let's move on. The conception of God in Stoicism. Stoicism is pantheistic. What does pan mean? All, that's right. And theism, of course, you know, is, is uh, from the word theos, which means, that's right. So pantheism is the belief that God is all and all is God. <coughs> so whereas Christianity might teach that God is near to us and that God draws near to us, and that God will never leave us nor forsake us, what they teach is that God sort of is us. You know, he's so near to us that he's in us, but not just in us, he is us and we are him. We are, we are parts of God, so to speak. Animals are parts of God. The Mother Earth is God. Space is God. Fish are God. So what are some modern-day philosophies and religions that are pantheistic? Buddhism. Buddhism. Hippies. Hippies, interesting. Environmentalism, yes. Mother Earth worship and the, the use of state power to liberate Mother Earth from the oppression of, uh, of whatever, capitalistic societies. That's all very pantheistic. Um, Hinduism is pantheistic. Right? That's why they, they have cows wandering the streets and people starving because they believe the cows are um, 
can be reincarnated ancestors and they worship them. They worship the creation rather than the what? Than the creator. And that's ultimately what pantheism is. It's a worship of the creation. So if Christianity is twoism, I've taught you all this before, Christianity is twoism. God is holy and separate and holy other and he created the world, which is not him. He is near to us. He draws near to us, but he is not us. You understand the difference? Mm -hmm. He is overall and he is omnipresent, but he is also everywhere fully and totally present so that he is imminent and also transcendent. He's personal and omnipresent. But the pantheistic God is not personal. He's not present, just omnipresent like the force. Mother Earth energy. You know, the Gaia. There's various names for this. And honestly, the reason why this religion is very common throughout the world is because you only have so many options when you're going to make up a religion. Either God's God, you're God, or stuff around you that you see as God. Right? And so you've got different philosophies. And so when we think of in Christianity, is everyone listening still? When we think of Christianity as God sovereignly controlling all things, um, we think of it as God is personal and loving and sovereignly ordering all things for a particular purpose that he decided. You understand what I mean? Uh, to glorify him and to save his people and to judge the world. So we think of him organizing things toward a purpose, toward what's called a telos, T-E-L-O-S, telos, an end, a goal. Whereas in Stoicism, God is sovereign, but God is not personal. God is an energy, a life force. And that life force governs all things, but not for any express purpose. Like there's no revealed purpose. It's just, what do we call that? It's just fate. Right? It's just fate. And can you fight fate? No. Can you fight the sovereignty of God? No. But is the sovereignty of God the same thing as fate? No, not at all. A lot of Christians misunderstand that. Moving on, anthropology. What do Stoics believe about man? They believe man, they would like they would like the Christian phrase. Man is created in the image of God. They would like that. They wouldn't mean it the same way. But they would like the idea that man, being a part of God, being a part of the whole, the one God, has some attributes that are like the whole. You understand what I mean? So, for example, they would teach that your body, your, your nerves and your vessels and your heart pumping blood and your skin and your bones... And your hair and your eyes are like the create like the things we see, the created world. But your invisible mind would be like the 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 life force which governs all of it. So you, you the the goal in these sorts of religions is to align your reason, your your mind, your rational, invisible parts of you with nature. What do we call that in Star Wars? Star Wars. Become one with the force. That's how you capture your, your true power. That's how you can finally be happy and, and uh, whole. And so he believed, and you can read when we read these meditations, he is going to bed at night and he's trying to, he's preaching to himself. You have to understand, he wrote these down out of his own reason because he believes his mind can govern his body to act in accord with what is true and good and beautiful and what is natural. And he could be happy. So listen to what he says like in this evening devotion. Caroline, you listening? What time did you go to bed last night? Right. 
No action should be undertaken without aim or other than in conformity with a principle affirming the art of life. Ooh, it sounds like uh, something I heard on, uh, on Twitter not too long ago. You know, a life coach said that, and he has a, a program for you for 1999. But he wrote that down. He's like, this is how to be happy. And he's repeating these meditations. He's chewing on them as a technique of self-mastery. You understand? Right? You ever, you ever seen the people staring into the mirror saying, you are good. You are enough. You are worth it. You can do this. Um, self-affirmations. Have you all heard about that? And then they go on for the rest of the day to engage in some self-care. Um, these are techniques that people are trying to, to do in order to get control over their emotions and get control over their habits and their lifestyle. They will sit in rooms in darkness and silence and, uh, and hum a particular mantra. You know, you are all you need. And they'll just kind of say, I can show you people doing this sort of stuff. But this is, this is a part of, it's not, that's not exactly stoicism, but it's in the same vein as stoicism. <coughs> if we have time, we can go into all their techniques that they use to try to to um, uh, engage in self-mastery and to be saved, so to speak. Um, ethics, let's move on to ethics. In Christianity, where, do, where is our ethics determined? Yep, that's right. Very good. But in Stoicism, where do you think the laws will come from? Well, they come from the reason. That's right. They come from their own reason. That's right. And from what they can see in nature. That's right. And so you're going to see some of the things that he says are true, but they're established on a faulty foundation, so eventually they crumble. The two key principles of Stoicism. Here it is, number one. To be happy, to be saved, is to accept your fate. You've heard the prayer of serenity, or you've seen it on the wall in the back of a toilet somewhere in a grandma's house. Lord, give me the strength and the peace of mind to accept those things that I cannot change. Marcus Aurelius would have loved that, except for the praying to God part. He would have written down a meditation Accept the things that I cannot change. I can't change you. I can't fix you. I can't deal. I can't fix all the things that are going on in the world. I need to just submit and yield to fate. That's very important. I don't need to get anxious about it. I don't need to get worked up. I need to be stoic. I don't let my emotions get the best of me. Right? Think of Yoda. Isn't Yoda sort of like that? He's... So self-controlled, he's calm. He's not filled with a bunch of crazy emotions, even though the, you know, Darth Vader is rampaging the universe. <coughs> because he has mastered himself. And he is one with nature, with the force God. Accept your fate. That's the first thing. The second principle of salvation is to trust in your own reason. To use reason... To change the things that you can change. What are some things you can change? Well, you can eat the right foods. You can make New Year's resolutions. Begin to work out and, and diet. And you can choose to 
to do good instead of bad. And you can reject you know, the evil and the ugly. Of course, the Bible says that we are limited in our ability to do good and to choose good, right? Because our natures are sinful, right? Sin's the problem with that. But by the power of the Spirit, we can. But in uh, Stoicism, they believe you can save yourself, so to speak, if you just accept your fate, the lot that you've been given, and change the things that you can through reason. Make sense? So as far as the category of faith, everyone has faith. We have faith in Christ. And the Stoic has faith in, in man. That's right. That's why it's idolatrous and humanistic. All right. What did Solomon say? Solomon said to lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge the Lord, and he will direct your paths. Marcus Aurelius would tell us to lean on our own understandings. And um, are there Christians that, that follow what makes sense to them more than what the Bible says, you think? Sometimes in some areas. Or what makes sense to their tradition, right? right. <clears throat> now, um, let's go ahead and, uh, and wrap this up real quick. What's the problem, the main problem with Stoicism, why it doesn't work? Because, it doesn't because there's no actual power in man because of sin. That's right. That's right. And that is no better seen than in the fact that Marcus Aurelius, for all the talk about goodness and justice and Love and mercy is going to persecute Christians. So there you have it. And why does he persecute Christians? There's a lot of reasons. One, because he's demonized, um, as all the Roman emperors are to some extent, and demons hate Jesus. Um, But also because the Christians wouldn't um, worship the government. They wouldn't worship the Roman emperor. They wouldn't worship the Roman state. They wouldn't pledge their total and uh, full-blown allegiance to the, uh, to the emperor and to the state. And, uh, and Marcus Aurelius was a statist. His philosophy about how to be happy and how to be saved was over here, was Stoicism. But at the end of the day, you know, he was a Roman and he believed in the spirit of Rome and he believed in himself as emperor. And anyone who didn't worship that uh, was going to be killed. Which I think is a complete contradiction to his quote-unquote Stoic ideals. And uh, we're going to read about all of those starting now.